my privilege to, to share God's Word with you this morning. And I trust you're going to be encouraged again and refreshed by what I say. Um, I was sitting in the garden the other day outside in our park and uh, just enjoying the sunshine, enjoying the birds and the absolute wonder of spring. And I was just uh, made me think back to that first Sunday morning when Mary came up to the tomb where she was expecting to see the stone still in place and things as they were. But the stone was rolled away and she had this incredible encounter with the angels. And uh, the angel said to her, Jesus is not here. The one you're looking for is not here. He's alive. He's risen. And I was just thinking what that must have meant to her and how she must have been struck with absolute fear, awe and wonder at, the, at what had transpired. And of course, she is the one that goes off and um, tells the disciples exactly what she's witnessed. And so I want to go in what I want to share with you this morning to the first evening of that first Sunday. So I don't want to talk so much about the events of the resurrection and, and talk about um, the truth of those events. But what I would rather like to look at is what happens um, immediately after that event. And we can look at a portion in John 20 and how this, what transpires in, in the resurrection helps you and I to live by the power of that resurrection. And I was just thinking also the incredible um, uh, chapters in the Bible like Romans 8, for example, where, where, where it says, there's now no, therefore no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. These amazing promises that are made possible because of the resurrection. And Romans 8, 28 says, uh, all things work together for good for those that are called and love the Lord. And um, it goes on to say, we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. All these incredible promises that are true and available to us because of that resurrection Sunday. And so let me read this portion now out of John. And then we're going to, I've got three simple things for you to think about today. So the first, uh, we're going to read together John 20, verse 19 to verse 30, says this. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood amongst them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hands and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? 
Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. What an extraordinary uh, encounter here between Jesus and his disciples. And we see in the short account here exactly what happened after Jesus was raised from the dead. And we can also see in this what the resurrection means for us as believers and how we can live in the power of the resurrection. And so as we reflect back on another extraordinary week in our country, and uh, I trust that in the midst of the chaos, the midst of the fear that is around us, you are uh, on the inside being comforted by the absolute calm that comes from the peace of God. And that is possible because of the resurrection and what Jesus has done for us. And so let me encourage you with that right at the beginning as we think about these things today. But here we have um, uh, this amazing encounter and I'd like to notice three things. The first thing is this. It's because of the resurrection that God's people can have peace. And here we see the disciples in a house somewhere in Jerusalem. And the first thing that we hear Jesus say to them, the resurrected Christ say to them, to all of them, is peace be with you. Now I want to just take a moment to reflect on that with you and pause and think because it actually is an, an extraordinary thing and we need to appreciate how extraordinary it was for Jesus to say peace be with you. It's so extraordinary because remember all of them had deserted him. They had all denied him. They had also been unbelieving when he had predicted his own death and his own resurrection. They hadn't, hadn't understood and hadn't believed him. And yet the first words that Jesus says to them is, peace be with you. Jesus is extraordinarily kind and gracious to all of us. Even when we have disappointed him badly and perhaps spoiled our, our testimony to other people through bad behavior or through bad choices, wrong things that we've decided to do. But he still says to us, peace be with you. And I reflect on my own life and think about my life of leading a church now for 20 years. And so, sometimes when people have deserted or hurt me um, through their bad behavior, through their unkindness, I have to say that the first words out of my mouth have not always been, peace be with you. In fact, sometimes I've wished for fire on their heads. I've been more like Paul, breathing out murderous threats than Jesus saying, peace be with you. Sadly, I'm sometimes unlike what Jesus shows us here. And Jesus simply says to those that have treated him in an extraordinarily bad way, he says, peace be with you. That's the first thing I'd like you to notice. And I'd like you to notice, uh, just in addition to that, do you notice the reason that Jesus gives us a basis for us having peace. He shows them his hands and his feet. The only basis that you and I can have for peace with God and peace in our lives is because of the fact that Jesus literally died for us on the cross. 
And we as Christians, all those who live by faith, we celebrate a literal and physical event. And that's the only reason that we can have peace. Uh, and it says immediately after Jesus says this to his disciples, it says in verse 20, they are filled with great joy. And then Jesus encourages them again. And he says, rejoice in that. And rejoice all the more. And he says in the second time in verse 21, peace be with you. And he affirms it again a third time. And it says, peace be with you. And it's interesting to me, it's only once the disciples have been rooted in this, this peace in their lives that he then sends them out. And it's true for you and it's true for me. Whatever God has called us to do with our lives, whatever mission we might have with our lives, the basis, the foundation on which we do anything is that we've received the peace of Christ through the cross. And on that basis, we move forward and do what God has called us to do. And so, it's a, the fact that we have a sure, uh, certain knowledge of the fact that we are reconciled to our Father in heaven and we have peace through the Lord Jesus Christ that we can do anything for him. And Jesus says to you right now, watching this, peace be with you. It's because of the resurrection of Jesus that we can live in his power and we can live in his peace. That's the first thing I'd like you to think about out of this portion. Secondly, I'd like you to notice that it's because of the Holy Spirit upon God's people um, that we can know. So, sorry, um, it's because of the res resurrection of Jesus um, uh, and, and the knowledge of that by God's people that we can know the power of the Holy Spirit. Notice in verse 22, it says, When he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. I think, again, it's good just to take a moment to reflect on what Jesus is saying here. Um, is Jesus really performing some kind of prophetic act when he breathes on them, uh, predicting what was going to happen on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came down upon the church? Well, I don't think that's really what Jesus is doing here or saying here. And I can be fairly confident in saying that, and this is why. Um, for... For the Greek people uh, who know the Greek, there's, a, there's a, a very interesting word here used for receive. The Greek word for receive is in the imperative tense. And what that simply means is that he's speaking of a present event, something that was happening immediately. Uh, and we know that through the use of the Greek verb. He's, he's not speaking of a future event. He's speaking of a present event when it says he breathed on them. And so we... We know then that he's not talking about some future thing. In the moment, he's saying, receive my spirit as he breathes on them. Um, the, the other thing I'd like you to notice about this is that um, the Holy Spirit wasn't just given as a gift to some, and specifically for priests to forgive sins. And, and why I say that is because in some traditions, like the Orthodox traditions and the, the Catholic tradition, uh, they connect verse 22 with verse 23, which talks about forgiveness of sins. And they use that to say that proves that uh, priests are given authority to forgive sins. However, if you read a simple reading of this uh, portion in the context, you can see it's simply not what the verses are saying. In the context of verse 19 and 20, it simply speaks of the disciples. So this was a collection of men and women. The disciples were there when this happened 
and Jesus appeared in this way. And so the Holy Spirit is not given as a special gift to some. The Holy Spirit is given to everyone, men, women, children, all who believe in the resurrected Jesus. And it's not just given for certain priests to forgive sins. In any case, the New Testament calls us all a kingdom of priests anyway. And there's not one place that I can think of um, in the New Testament that calls uh, Christian preachers priests. Simply doesn't do that. It says all of us are priests. We are a kingdom of priests. We are a royal priesthood. So those are two kind of clarifications there. So what really is happening here when Jesus breathes on them and says, receive my Holy Spirit? Well, I want to say, um, quite plainly, that the church is being born when Jesus does that. Uh, so the, the idea that the, the church was born on the day of Pentecost when Jesus, um, pre, uh, the Holy Spirit came upon the people, is not quite right. Uh, the church had been functioning already. It had been gathering. Believers were together. They were doing things together. And if you look at that scripture in Acts 1, this, it simply says that there's a promise of power that is to come upon the church. And so in, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, there's a prediction of this power that is to be released upon the church. But the church was already established and the church was already functioning. And the church had been born when Jesus breathed on his disciples and said, receive my Holy Spirit. And so we see here in these verses that um, uh, the resurrection power of Jesus was birthed on the day of the resurrection when Jesus breathed on them and said, receive my Holy Spirit. And so it is for us the same. The moment you and I believe in Jesus, the moment we are saved, we receive the Holy Spirit and we are joined to the church and along with every other saint that has ever trusted in Jesus, we become part of of the universal church and would become part of the bride. And so that's the first thing. Here's the second thing we see happening here when Jesus breathes on them. It's, it's the day that resurrection power is given to the disciples. And uh, there's a wonderful scripture in Romans 6, the first 14 verses, where Paul encourages the church and says that those who are in Christ are one with Christ. It's like we are fused with Him. And because we are raised with Christ, we are raised with Christ, and because we are raised with Christ, we reckon ourselves dead to sin. These are the amazing, amazing things that Paul says in Romans. So there's this new life, this resurrected life that we receive when we are saved. And this also reminds me of Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, when God breathes His life into human beings. And he, he, the breath of God is, breath, is breathed into the beings that he created. And it's in the same way here in John 20, as Jesus breathes into his disciples, he's, he's breathing his resurrection power into the new humanity, the, the new humans that are alive now in Christ because of the resurrection. And uh, all of us as his church continue to live by his resurrection power as we receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We are saved, we're made part of the church, and we receive resurrection power that enables us to live. And it's true, we also need the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which was evidenced in the day of Pentecost. There was a baptism of power to become powerful witnesses 
And the, 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 ch the church was also transformed from, from being fearful into being active, into getting out and to proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And that was because the, of the baptism of power that they received on the day of Pentecost. And so we see in these verses two simple things. The church is birthed as Jesus breathes on them and they receive resurrection power as his disciples. And the third thing that I'd like you to notice that's because of the resurrection of, Je of, of um, Jesus that we as God's people have authority to say what the gospel is. And this is what I mean. Remember verse 23? It says these incredible words, If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. And what does that mean? Because remember we're studying Mark, and uh, I've pushed pause on Mark for today. But remember, we're studying Mark, and Mark 2 verse 7, uh, we know from that verse that only God can forgive sins. Uh, the scribes say of Jesus, why does this man speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So it's true, only God can forgive sins. Uh, I've also tried to show you out of these verses today that the gift of the Holy Spirit uh, upon all of the disciples means that it's not just some have the authority to forgive sins, like priests, or Christian ministers, they have the right in themselves to forgive sins. Uh, it doesn't mean that. So what is Jesus saying then, or when he says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven, and if you withhold forgiveness from them, it is withheld. Well, I answer you and say it simply means this, that Christians have power to say what the gospel is, and therefore can say who is and who is not forgiven. And obviously this is not done in a judgmental way, but uh, I, I would put it like this. If someone comes to me and says that they are saved and believe in Jesus, and I know this is true, then I can simply equally, I could say to them, well then, know that your sins are forgiven because you have believed the gospel of Jesus. I'm not personally doing the, the forgiving. I, I don't have a power or authority to do that. But in Christ, their sins are forgiven. But equally, if someone comes to me and says, well, I don't believe in Jesus. I don't have faith in anything that he's done. I don't believe in uh, his death or his resurrection. I think that's all. I don't believe any of that stuff. Equally, then, I could say to them, well, in that case, you are still dead in your sin and you do not yet know that you are forgiven. And so this is really what we see in the New Testament as preachers go about pre preaching the gospel. There are many examples in Acts 2, 38 or Acts 13, 26. And I thought of another one in Acts 3, 9, when Peter says this, he says, But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, thus he fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins might be blotted out, that times of refreshing might come from the presence of the Lord, and that he might send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. And we also see, for example, in Acts clearly in Acts 8.23, that their sins, their sins are not forgiven. The scripture there says, Repent therefore of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord, that if possible, the intent of your heart might be forgiven you. So quite clearly, there's not yet forgiveness there for them. And so what I'm trying to say is that when we see these great verses in John, and we understand the resurrection of Jesus, and the power of the Holy Spirit that is given to us, 
it, he gives us a great understanding of the gospel that we can apply to our own lives and also then to the lives of others. And lastly, I want to say that do you notice that because of the resurrection of Jesus, uh, God's people are asked to exercise faith in the resurrection as never before. There's a challenge in these verses that we see personified in Thomas's response, but there's invitation in these verses for all of us to believe something that we have not seen for ourselves. Thomas refused to believe the resurrection until he saw the proof of the resurrection. I will not believe until I see the marks. I will not believe until I see the, 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 the spear mark on his side, he says in verse 24 and 25. And uh, then a week later, eight days later, we read in verse 26, he gets the proof of what he wants. But in all of that, Jesus is saying that faith that is based on seeing is weak faith, and it's not really faith at all. Verse 29, it's a magnificent verse. Jesus says, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. You see, faith is based on testimony. We are told the story of, of salvation in God's word, and we believed what has been said to us without necessarily seeing anything. You and I did not witness the resurrection personally, but we are asked to have faith in the resurrection of Jesus. That's what it means to believe by faith. We believe in what we have not seen and witnessed with our own eyes. And so, as we believe by faith, we walk by faith, the power of the Holy Spirit in us, the resurrection power of Jesus in us, enables us to walk by the Spirit. We learn to hear God's voice. We learn to respond to Him when He says, do this and don't do that. He helps us to love people that have hurt us. He helps us to to see the whole world in a different way. It helps us to see death in a different way because of the power of God that's within us. And so this, um, uh, this portion uh, finishes off with this little declaration. It says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not, are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. There's a life that is an abundant life that God wants you and I to walk in. It comes by faith. It comes as we hear the voice of God speaking to us, as we, as we respond to that voice. It comes by believing by faith, by asking the Lord into our lives and saying, transform me, transform my heart, my motivation, why I do the things the way I do. Lord, I want to live not according to my way, but according to your way. Not my will be done, but yours. That's, that's what it means to be saved. That's what it means to be transformed by the power of Jesus. That's what the resurrection makes possible, that you and I can live with resurrection power, day by day, moment by moment. And now... In conclusion, we're going to have a look at a couple of testimonies of people whose lives have been transformed by the living Lord Jesus, the resurrected Christ, who's done 
amazing things for these people. So I hope you enjoy these testimonies as, as uh, we show them to you now. God bless you. Have a great day.